This is Coffee, Books, and True Crime. Hey guys! Hey! This is one of your hosts, Nicole. And this is your other host, Amanda. And we are Coffee Books and True Crimes. We are going to be talking about three different murders that occurred in Columbus, Ohio. And we have a very special guest on our show today, our dear friend Chrissy. Say hi, Chrissy. Hi, everyone. And she is going to give us her personal connections with each of these murders. She was born and raised in Columbus, Ohio, but these still hold a special place in her heart. Um, So the first murder that we're going to be talking about today is regarding Zach Beekner. And just to give a little bit of background um, on what happened there, Zach Beekner was involved in a dispute inside a home located in the 400 block of Pamlico Street on the far west side on a late Friday night where he was shot. Buechner was being driven to the hospital when the vehicle he was riding in crashed at Norton Road and Sullivan Avenue. Officers who were responding to the crash found Buechner inside the vehicle. Zachary Buechner died shortly after midnight at Doctors West Hospital. Police charged Joshua M. Hall, 19, of Galloway with one count of murder in connection. Hall had turned himself in. So I guess to kind of get to know a little bit more about your relationship with Zach. How, how did you know Zach? Zach and I had grown up two, he lived about two houses down the street from my, uh, from me growing up. And we used to, you know, play outside together. We used to hang out at each other's houses all the time. We were inseparable growing up. And then, you know, obviously like any relationship when you get into high school, it kind of drifts off. So like neighborhood childhood yes, friends. neighborhood childhood yeah. friends. Now, you had told us before whenever we were talking that there was another man involved with trying to save Zach. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yes. One of his friends was there when it happened, and he got him in the car, tried to drive him to the hospital, was trying to keep him alive while he was in the car, but while they were on the way to the hospital, they crashed. Where did he crash at? In front of St. Cecilia, which is a Catholic church off Norton Road. Wow. So what was the dispute over? Do you know? The dispute was over a tattoo that Zach had done. Wow. So the man who was charged for it, um, was so he was not happy with it? Or like, what was his reasoning for doing that? Did he ever say? The, from what I heard, it was because Zach wanted the money that he owed him for the tattoo that he'd given him. Oh, yeah. so I can't, yeah. I can't afford this tattoo that you gave me. So I'll shoot you in the chest. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So he. how long did it take him to turn himself in? That I'm not really sure. Honestly, I think he went on the run before he actually did turn himself in. Because I know that during the time he was dating a girl that I was... It was when we were still in school, and he was dating this girl, and they couldn't find her either for a while. For Did a while. you know Josh as well? I, yes, I knew Josh. Oh, wow. That's rough. <laughs> were you close with Josh like you were with Zach? Not really. I mean, we were in the same grade when we were in middle school. We were kind of close, but... He got into a different crowd than I did, started doing things that I wasn't all about, though. No. <laughs> okay. 
So what kind of what kind of charges did Josh Hall end up getting? I believe he got first degree murder. I, I think in what I was looking up on Zach, which unfortunately there's not a whole lot of information no, out there about this, him. This, they didn't cover his death very well. I mean, during that time they And that was in the year two thousand ten. It's been ten years since this happened. Yeah. And from what I found they just the only charge I could find was one count of murder. Wow. It didn't go into any details like Yeah. I do know that he is out now. Oh. Of course he is. Wow. So this murder occurred in two thousand and ten and it's not even so he must have gotten less than a ten year sentence to already be out, which I just think for murder is insane. Good you, behavior or not, that's yeah, just nuts. You took somebody else's life. Like, you killed somebody, yeah. I mean, do you think that is justice? No, I don't, because his family, Zach was, a, like, Zach was a sweetheart, and he meant the world to his mother and his father, and I know his dad has a lot of health issues, and he was very close with his cousin and his grandmother, wow. so, I mean, he was he was a good kid growing up, always nice, just, like, completely respectful to everybody. Was Zach still in school whenever this happened, or had he recently he graduated? He already graduated. He was a year out. So young. And the guy who did it was super young, too. So yeah. he was, the guy who did it was, he was what, he was 19. Mm-hmm. Wow. So they were either in the same grade or just He like, was 19, like, but he was in my grade. He was a senior that year. So were Zach and Josh friends, or did they just know each other? And how they, did that all come about? Yeah, they were friends. They hung out with the same crowds and group do you think there was drugs involved to make them make bad decisions maybe the only reason i would say that is because i never knew zach to do anything hard and i mean i could see them probably doing marijuana but i couldn't see them doing anything harder than that i was just trying to come up with the reason of why a 19 year old would shoot somebody over a tattoo that would make sense i mean not that you know, that would justify it no, or anything, but no. it would help me wrap my head around it a little bit more. And I would imagine that was the argument he probably had at his court hearing was that it was a impulsive heat of the moment, not calculated, which is probably why his sentence was as light as it was. Like a crime of passion type deal? Yeah, like, not. I'm not saying that's right at all. I disagree with it. If you killed somebody, you killed somebody. But that argument of it was a heat of the moment thing and I didn't pre-plan this. It wasn't uh, premeditated. Oh, and he's young, so a jury's going to take... It was probably his first major offense, I'm going to assume. (laughs) Yeah, up until then, he didn't really get in trouble, but... You know, once wow. that got out, he was, his name was everywhere. Well, I'm so. sure, <laughs> as it should it be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I'm sure the jury was like, this kid is so young, he hasn't messed up this bad before. It was a bad argument. But you know that mess up cost somebody their life, so. They found the guy. At least he had turned himself in. I will commend him for that. That but is true. He did, he did turn himself in. I do believe he should have done more time than he did. Yes. But at least the family isn't still wondering. That is like, true. At least they have a closure. little bit of closure. Yeah. Not that that makes it any easier. Yeah, but... I imagine it would be, when I always think about crime, like true crime, I always feel like the missing person would definitely, would, would bother me the most. Like I would not be able to handle if a loved one of mine had just gone missing and I didn't know where they were. And also if you never found their murder, like there's no closure in that. 
No. No. And there would be a part of you that's like, well, maybe they're still out there, even though statistics say otherwise, but there's still that that hope. Our thoughts and prayers go out to the family of Zach Beekner. We are so sorry for your loss. And we are glad that we were able to discuss it on our podcast to give him a little bit of spotlight. And now we are going to move to the case of Garrett Burton. This occurred back in 2008 and is just devastating. Garrett Burton was shot point blank in the head for egging cars with a group of friends on the west side of Columbus. There's that west side again. Both, Yeah, both of those that we have discussed happened on the west side of Columbus. You'll see that a lot. <laughs> the last time his mother Patty had seen him was when she was dropping him off at school that morning. She told him to have a blessed day. He was supposed to be home by 11.30 and wasn't answering his phone. His father was actually an officer of the Columbus Police Department. It wasn't something they should have done, but they certainly did not deserve to be shot in the head over some eggs. This is a sick person. Direct quote from Patty Burton. Patty also says what happened is a firsthand account from one of Garrett's friends who was hiding behind a tree about 10 feet away. The killer still has not been found. There is still no justice for the Burton family. This case was heavily covered by especially 10TV, also known as WBNS. I actually have a clip here that came out in 2018, a decade after the murder occurred. I'm going to play that for you guys now. It's just a short little clip. New tonight, a devastating Columbus murder case that's been cold for more than a decade. And there was no Garrett. It hasn't really gotten any easier. And for this family, the pain stings as if it were just yesterday. Thanks for joining us tonight at 11. I'm Yolanda Harris. And I'm Jerry Revish. This is a story 10TV has covered numerous times over the years, from the night of the crime to the funeral to the search for the killer. 10TV's Brian Somerville is in the Digital Broadcast Center with a new interview you'll only see on 10TV. Jerry, Yolanda, imagine taking your child to school. You drop them off, they're safe. Then that's the last time you see them alive. That's what happened to the family of Garrett Burton. He was 16 when he was murdered almost 11 years ago. His killer never been found. Police say it happened in the early morning hours of August 30th, 2008, just off of Hilliard Rome Road after an incident that involved egg throwing at cars. Now tonight, only in a story you will see on 10TV, the family of Garrett Burton tell me how they keep hope how they hold on to his memory and how they're learning to let go. She knows Let Go by Dwayne Woods was playing that morning. She remembers that. The symbolic song about releasing your struggles to God is almost personal now. It was playing the last day she saw him when she dropped her son off for his third day of his junior year at Westland High School. He was too big for kisses now, being in high school and all. So she settled by touching his forearm and told him to have a blessed day. And I kneel down to pray. The rest of it, she just doesn't understand. You just don't understand. A lesson Patty Burton learned long ago from her 16-year-old son. He says, Mom, he said, you don't understand. Those are his words to me all the time. You don't understand. The unknown going on 11 years now. It was late. He's past his curfew. Friday night, August 29th, 2008. And there was no Garrett. Garrett wasn't answering his phone. 
he was supposed to be home by 11.30. Older brother Jordan had said two friends had picked Garrett up after school. Next thing I know, there's all this commotion outside, pitch black. Two officers in suits came to her door, then came in. They asked for a picture of Garrett, and then they told her. And then they said, you need to sit down. I said, sit down for what? And they said, ma'am, they said, your son uh, has been murdered. Garrett's father, George. Whoever did this was just a straight up coward. Just a coward. Retired from the Columbus Police Department six years ago after a 33 year career. Late Friday night, early Saturday morning, August 30th, 10 years ago, Police say Garrett was with friends and throwing eggs at passing cars near Hilliard Rome Road when someone, reportedly mad about that prank, approached the group with a gun. Patty says what happened next, a first-hand account from one of Garrett's friends who was hiding behind a tree just 10 feet away. And he said to me, he saw Garrett put his hands up and say, I did not throw any eggs at your car, but he said, but I can help you wash it off. The person persisted, demanding Garrett, who was 6'1", 240 pounds, to get down. And he described it that because of Garrett's size, that he was having a hard time trying to get down on one knee, and the person put that gun right here and shot him. That first day turned to two, which turned into a month, into a year, and pretty soon, August. It hasn't really gotten any easier will mark 11 years since Garrett Burton was murdered. A good person, his family says, always willing to help others, lifted the spirits of those who needed a pick-me-up. Sometimes it was that goodwill that made him late for class or miss assignments, something his mom never quite understood. It just clicked. Until he was gone. I didn't understand. He knew what he was supposed to do there. He was doing exactly what his mission of life was. His parents' mission for more than a decade now has been trying to get answers, answers that so far nothing have never come. This is where they come to see Gary now. Patty, George, and Jordan, Green Lawn Cemetery, lot 119. All right, how's that look? They decorate for the seasons fresh mulch for the spring, accompanied by his picture, his two favorite cars, a Mustang and a Hummer and a Winnie the Pooh, his nickname in high school. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you on this day. As hard as it can be to admit, it's okay not to understand everything. Maybe sometimes it's best. Wow, that was insane. Wow, that was really intense. Did his friends see who did this? They never gave a description of the person. They said that they couldn't get a clear picture of him. Do you know, do you happen to know if the police questioned the friends that were there? I believe they did. See, this is, this one is super hard for me to wrap my head around. And um, yeah. I feel like this is one of the cases that, one of those cases that true crime um, junkies would really be interested in because the murder has not been caught. And what's really interesting about this one, I think, is that they were egging cars in a neighborhood. So it almost feels like whoever did it would be in the neighborhood. Like, I just can't imagine that a, like a random drifter would be upset about kids 
egging a car or egging cars and do this. This one is tough to process. Well, and if what the friend said is true, Garrett stood up, put his hands up and said, I didn't throw any eggs at your car, but I can help you wash it off. Like he was trying to fix it. Mm-hmm. He was always trying to help people. Well, and so. this seems particularly heinous because he was in a defensive position, mm-hmm. a like white flag, I'm not here to, to do any harm and will literally help you clean the situation. And whoever did this chose to do what they did. It just pisses you off because it was just kids throwing eggs at cars. I yeah. mean, yeah, that might peel some paint. But it's just kids being kids, and they've been doing that forever. It's like shooting somebody over toilet paper in your house. Mm-hmm. Like, or, or like like we – so we live on the corner of, of an intersection here, so we get a lot of high school kids that ding-dong ditch. Like it's, it's kind of ridiculous how many of those we get, but it would be like shooting one of them for doing – I mean, instead of doing drugs or – doing something more sinister. These kids are just out egging cars. Like, yeah, maybe that's not okay, like totally okay, but it could be way worse. Like a call to the police. Hey, there's these kids on this street. They're throwing eggs at cars. Can you come talk to them? And Well, and that's what got me was that in the location that this the shooting happened there is a huge neighborhood right next to it. There is another neighborhood literally right across the street. And then there's a gas station in the middle. Obviously, during the early hours, the gas station was closed. But still, you couldn't tell me that, you can't tell me that somebody during that time didn't notice what was going on. Couldn't have called the cops and said, hey, these kids are being obnoxious and loud and doing and throwing eggs at cars as they go by. You know, you can't tell me that somebody didn't see them doing this or see something else. In my mind, it's like your murder suspect is is probably right there in that vicinity because I just can't see, you know, someone being that upset over someone egging cars that didn't live there or didn't have a car that was getting egged. I have to criticize the investigation because it's like, what happened there? I mean, the the ball was definitely dropped, I feel. I think it was too because he was supposed to be home at 1130 and he wasn't answering his phone, which tells me that he was shot before 1130 whenever his mother would start to call. So it's not even like that it was 4 a.m. and nobody was out. Plus, it's Columbus. There's people out all the time. All hours of the night. Yeah, you bring up a really good point with the time frame. And and what's even more frustrating is there's a witness that we know of that might have some kind of description. Um, It would be great if we would have access to that, you know, if the public could have access to the description of that person if one was ever given. From what I saw, it wasn't given. Like, they were giving nothing to go off of, not what the car looked like or anything. For it to still be a cold case 10 years later makes me think that it's not just that these kids didn't want to come forward. that They had to have known that person. And were scared to. And were scared to come forward. And if you factor in their age, like, you know, they're 16-year-old, 15-year-old boys. That's pretty traumatic. And they did know the person. That just adds a whole nother layer to the situation. And especially if one came forward and said, this is what Garrett did, but the guy didn't care. You would think that if he saw Garrett do that, if he saw Garrett put his hands up, he should have had at least a description of this guy. And if Anything, like clothes, like hair, height. 
Yeah. And he wouldn't even tell Garrett's mom, Patty. So of course he's not gonna tell the police. So he, they had to have been scared of this person. Which I mean, I get it because he shot poor Garrett point blank in the head for egging cars. But it almost seems like it's deeper than that. Well, yeah, and so you have this kid who's who's ter- who is maybe even scared to come forward with it, and he now knows that this guy got away with it. So why wouldn't this guy get away with killing him if he had any information to share? Or this- or or lady, I mean, I guess I just assumed that it was a guy that did the shooting, but. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't say either way on that. <laughs> this one is so hard to wrap your head around. They were just kids being obnoxious kids. Mm-hmm. And there's you're in high school. Three days until our junior in high school. So he was he was just a baby. Mm-hmm. So how well did you know Garrett? Garrett and I had a, a lot of classes together, mm-hmm. but other than that, we really didn't hang out outside of class. I mean, I always knew that Garrett was a sweetheart. Like my best memory, my favorite memory of him is the time that he brought his great grandma in the class and he was just so sweet to her and you could tell that he just adored her it was the cutest thing but he um he was just all around a nice guy he would do anything to help anybody i can definitely agree with that just from saying hey i'll help you clean up these eggs i mean yeah yeah instead of just running he stopped yeah well our thoughts and prayers are with the burton family as well i hope there can eventually be justice for Garrett and I hate that I believe that the Columbus Police Department did them wrong which not to get right back into it but his father was an officer of the Columbus Police Department you would think that his yeah yeah, during that time he was in the police department you would think that the brothers in blue would have banded together to get this guy yeah, and that has to be extremely frustrating for his dad being a part of that and then it's the still not being solved, in my opinion, maybe not even handled properly. And it almost makes you wonder if the police know and they're scared too. I mean, you just don't know with this one. I just keep thinking the worst because it just makes me angry. <laughs> yeah, this is one of those, like I was saying earlier, that's frustrating because you don't know. And I think... That by us giving this some coverage, it may end up be and be a good thing because you know people might really want to delve into this case. Yeah, and feel free. And if you guys, if you guys find out anything about this case, make sure you DM us on Instagram. Our handles: Coffee Books and True Crime. We would love, love to have any information you may have about this case that we can send to the, either the Columbus Police Department or Garrett's mother, Patty. If you guys have any information, please come forward. And not that these two cases we discussed isn't sad enough. This one's a rough one. This one is the murder of Samantha Greenlee. Samantha Greenlee went missing October 8th, 2014. She was last seen at her apartment. She missed work on October 9th, which is what caused suspicions. She also missed her second OBGYN appointment. She was only around 10 weeks along from what I can estimate from the sources I used. Jacob Ferreira was the father of the child. Two days after her disappearance, a fire started at her apartment she shared with her boyfriend. Yeah, he's already suspicious. Right? Mm -hmm. And the cause of the fire, according to Jacob, was it was started by their dog knocking over a candle. And then... Ferrero fled the state to Kentucky to avoid all the chaos, which, hello, another red flag. 
Yeah, random sure. fire. Random fire. Didn't report her missing, and then flees. It was it was the dog. It's fine. Search parties were put together by Samantha's family and friends to attempt to find her. People were reaching out all over her Facebook account to try and get her to respond. They would leave. I got on her Facebook and was looking back then, and everybody that cared about Samantha was messaging her. They were leaving things on her wall that said, Samantha, if you get this, if you don't want to talk to anybody, just know that I'm here. You have a safe place here. Like, that message was done by numerous people. But what rose, what raised a red flag with that is that it, Samantha wasn't the kind of person that she'd go without talking to anybody. She wouldn't not speak with anybody. I mean, she would keep up with her mother. She talked to her mother all the time. She talked to Marissa all the time. Her sister Marissa, like, they spoke all the time. It's so not it's very like unlikely no. for her to just go off the grid. Yeah. She is not the kind of person that would just vanish. So she like needed a getaway from Jacob or something. She would be like. Hey, Mom, I'm okay, but I've got to go for a little bit, and I'm going to shut my phone off. Exactly. But somebody okay. would know where she is. Or at least the general vicinity. She wouldn't yeah. just run off. Speaking of her Facebook, on October 21st, Samantha's sister Marissa posted on her Facebook, If you were innocent and actually trying to find your unborn baby's mother, why wouldn't Jacob Ferreira show up for a polygraph test? Not only once, but twice. Link it up, look at the info, help find my sister Samantha. She has been missing for 13 days. And oddly, there was a fire a few days later, and her boyfriend Jacob didn't call the cops. Wow, so she was missing. At this point, she's been missing two weeks. And I love the sister's instincts that are like, no, this is your guy. And he's done something to my sister. Exactly. I'm honestly surprised it took Marissa two weeks to call him out like that. A lot of us suspected as soon as we heard about it that something was going on. And then more came out later about the abuse that Samantha was going through and that Jacob said that he was going through. And and we'll get into that here in just a few minutes. We have some information on that too. On October 22nd, Samantha was found. Ferreira led the police to the body after finally confessing. They found the body in a wooded area near Madison Christian Church and School in Groveport, Ohio. Ferrero had turned himself into a fire station where his father was chief. Ferrero confessed to beating her with a baseball bat and strangling her after an argument. <laughs> That's not funny. That's not why I'm laughing. I wrote strangled her with a baseball hat. <laughs> That's a new one. <laughs> so I just right had there. that visual of somebody. <laughs> For a minute, I was like, <laughs> no, no, that was super inappropriate. But I was going to say hat, and then I imagined this, like, big, burly man strangling <laughs> this little girl with a hat. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you're definitely going to have to edit that out. <laughs> nah. <laughs> okay. Ferreira confessed to beating her with a baseball bat and strangling her after an argument. He also confessed to burning down the apartment to cover up the blood and rest of the evidence. The fire destroyed four other units, leaving 14 people homeless. So not only has he killed this woman, he has also made 14 people homeless. Yeah. Prosecutor said after Ferreira murdered Samantha, he wrapped her in a shower curtain, put her in a storage bin, and buried her in a shallow grave. It was found that there had been three domestic calls in one week in September. 
One call stated he had pushed her and was being aggressive and telling her to move out. Another said the boyfriend was trying to kick her out and take money from her. She said she was scared and pregnant. There used to be a clip somewhere on the internet that we cannot find where they actually had the recorded calls posted. And in the one call, you can hear just how scared Samantha is. Frera had intentions on fleeing to Mexico. And rumor has it that his parents were going to help finance it. Yeah, rumor had it that they were going to help him get there. And remember, his father was one of the chief firemen. Frero at first pled not guilty and claimed self-defense. Self-defense when this girl was 90 pounds soaking wet. And pregnant. Yeah, and pregnant. Eventually, he changed his plea to guilty. He had waited almost two weeks Mm -hmm. to turn himself in because he turned himself in on the 22nd and she went missing on October 8th. And it took him. T- it took them two years to sentence him. Yeah, he wasn't sentenced till 2016. Yep. And we actually have a clip of when he was confessing to be not guilty because she was so abusive. So let me play that for you. I know that sounds cheesy, but I'm still hoping for some miracle to happen. something about it okay so i'm going to back it up to where i was talking about the 911 calls about the domestic violence because we just found on 10 tv news that they don't have the audio but they have the transcription i'm just going to read this 10 tv has obtained the troubling 911 calls from the apartment the couple shared in the weeks leading up to the death samantha i'm just calling because i'm trying to leave and my boyfriend took my keys so couldn't leave Operator, any weapons or violence? Samantha, no. There was another on September 17th. Operator, is there any violence? Jacob, no, we were just arguing, but she won't just give me space. Operator, what's the issue? Samantha, well, I came in the room and he pushed me, so I got mad, so I am staying in the room now. The operator went on to ask her why she would stay near a man if he just pushed her. Arguing seemed to be common for the two. In fact, Samantha's family said Ferrero kicked her out of the home several times. They also claimed that Ferrero was expecting a child with his ex-girlfriend as well, which we'll get into that in just a few minutes. So first thing about that is that she was obviously making the phone calls. So if he, if his life was so threatened, why was he not making, like that first transcript she called, and in the second transcript, he pushed her. So it, right right there, he's not the one that feels threatened. That's very clear. It 
also kind of bothers me that there's, why are you calling 911 if you're just being kicked out of a house? Like, if that's all it was, why was Samantha not saying what was really going on? Well, and within the first transcript... Not when trying she, to victim blame or shame. I'm just right. curious if he was in the room and she just didn't want to go into detail or... I, a lot of victims of domestic violence, they don't say anything in fear of repercussions. And the most um, dangerous part for domestic violence victims is leaving. So mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that she had called and said, I'm trying to leave and he's not letting me. And it almost makes me wonder how many times was she trying to leave and maybe this time she really was going to leave. I do remember reading a research study was when I was in college that domestic violence offenders tend to become more violent when their victim is pregnant. Which is interesting and also the opposite of what you would think it would be. Yeah. Yeah, you would think that would make you like stop and be yeah. like, Okay, I know I know I've been aggressive with you, but now you're pregnant with my child. So Things are different completely different our priorities have changed you would think anyways and playing off of that article it's marissa had also stated that there were others involved did we find that on her she believed there were others yeah because she She, brought tony into it on her facebook um she had posted that she believed that the woman that he impregnated before he got samantha pregnant um was involved in the murder because she wanted jacob's full attention to be on her baby and not Samantha's child. On Marissa's Facebook, I think, or it might have been Samantha's, she states that she believes that there were others involved, but especially believe that it was Jacob's other baby mom, who I'm just going to not name right here. She was pregnant with Jacob's baby at that time. So Samantha had reached out to this woman and tried to foster a relationship because their babies would be siblings. And this woman did not reciprocate that relationship. Freira was sentenced to 45 years to life for the murder of Samantha Greenlee. So while this is all terrible, at least there's some justice for this family. Some justice, yeah. But I believe you had told me that the family was actually hoping for the death penalty. Yes, there is actually a video clip of that. Of her grandmother and her mother. Okay, let's play that clip. Police found Samantha Greenlee's body. They say her boyfriend led them to her shallow grave. Teddy B. Shelby Croft live in Groveport, where officers found Greenlee's body this morning. I want him dead. I want him dead now. A grandmother who was holding nothing back, Darlene Bias, went into the woods with police and saw where Samantha Greenlee was buried. This is my granddaughter. He needs to be dead the hardest way possible. He is Jacob Ferrero, Samantha's boyfriend, father to her unborn child. It came to a point where he just ended up confessing. Police say Ferrero told them he hit Samantha in the head that she was coming at him. Investigators had suspected Ferrero early on. Stuff just was not adding up, plain and simple. This was not adding up. People just don't disappear. Samantha was last heard from October 8th. Two days later, she missed a doctor's appointment for a pregnancy. And that afternoon, the apartment she shared with Ferrero caught fire. He didn't call 911 to report the fire. He never told Samantha's family about it or that she was missing. I suspected because her car was there. They got in an argument that night, a Wednesday night. She's been missing, and the house set a fire Friday. 
Arguing seemed to be common for the two. Family says Ferrero kicked Samantha out a few times. They also say Ferrero was expecting a child with his ex-girlfriend as well. Police say Ferrero led them right to Samantha's body. They actually brought him out here. He showed them uh, this area, walked them down a path. The family had just gathered the night before to pray for her safe return. Now they're praying to make it through this tragedy. There's still hope for our family. We can still get through this as a family. Now, Samantha's body was actually found right back here. You can see behind that little park where that tree is with the gold leaves there. It's right underneath there. Now, we went by Ferrero's ex-girlfriend's house earlier today. She didn't want to say anything about this situation. Right now, Ferrero is charged with murder and aggravated arson. But the prosecutor says he could be charged with a second count of murder if it is proven that Samantha was pregnant. Reporting live in Groveport, Shelby Croft, TV News. Thank you, Shelby. Tonight, we are learning more about the relationship between Samantha Greenlee and Jacob Ferrero. And more about the suspect himself, actually. We've been digging deeper into this all day long. 10TV's Jeff Allen joins us live at the apartment the two shared in South Columbus. Jeff. Yes, good evening, Kristen. And 10TV did speak with Ferrero's father today. He chose not to comment, but we, as you mentioned, we have been digging into that relationship that ended in tragedy and getting some new insight about that relationship as well as the man charged. Jacob Ferrero's Facebook page depicts a young man involved in events typical of anybody his age, but police are painting a very different picture. 10TV has obtained the troubling 911 calls from the apartment he shared with his girlfriend, Samantha Greenlee, in the weeks leading up to her death. And I'm pregnant, and I don't need to try to kick me out. He hasn't been evicted me or anything. He's moving my stuff out right now, and I'm scared, really. Like he. Are there any weapons? Not any, not any weapons? At different times, both Ferrero and Greenlee called 911 looking for help. Is there any violence or you guys are having a dispute? She started arguing, so she won't face. What's the issue? Well, I came in the room and he pushed me, so I got mad. So, The operator goes on to ask her why she would stay near a man if he just pushed her. The apartment the couple shared burned Friday, October 10th. Samantha Greenlee's body found today. Police say the soon-to-be 23-year-old Ferrero, who wears a tattoo reading every path has a different outcome, has confessed to the killing. Please leave the room, Samantha. I need to lock this door. Now, 10TV continues working to understand the complexion of this relationship, but in the early going, the only thing that remains or seems to be absolutely clear is that this path ended in tragedy for everyone involved. Live in Columbus, Jeff Valentin, TV News. So troubling. Thank you, Jeff. I don't know what to say. I had thought of something while that was playing, and I forgot it. Was he ever charged for the death of her unborn baby? No, he wasn't. Why was that? <laughs> because Ohio has what is called the heartbeat bill which means that if a heartbeat is not detected then they cannot be charged for it it's not an actual fetus by that time and so because she was only 10 weeks along mm -hmm. and a heartbeat hadn't been detected at that time then they couldn't charge him with it i think what was interesting about the scenario in which they both called it's almost like it put her on the spot and of course she's not going i mean a domestic violence victim is not going to say to the operator oh he's doing this he's doing this he's doing that so she was almost backed into a corner on that call yeah it's like he's wanting space so he pushed her 
She was probably more frozen than anything else. Like, I, I, I can't leave this room. I mean, while a valid question, but probably not appropriate for the moment because she's going to say, I'm surprised she didn't say something like, oh, well, nothing's, nothing's wrong. Because a victim is not going to, especially in front of their abuser, say, yeah, he's hitting me and he's doing this and he's shoving me. And I mean, that's pretty risky territory. Yeah, that was no tact came from that 911 operator. And if you guys listening to this find that some of our information isn't exactly correct, remember that we got a lot of our information on this case off of Samantha's Facebook and a lot of this is just being remembered from Chrissy because she went through it. She experienced it. And I think what's really uh, special about this episode is that we've gotten a chance to really look at the victims and remember who they are as people and to give them another voice. Which is what they deserve. Exactly. And we're not, not that I think that in our other episodes we glorify the killers, but that's what a lot of people want to hear about. They want to hear how they did it, why they did it. And don't get me wrong, that intrigues me too. But I enjoy the cases that we are actually able to lift the victims up and give them another chance of being listened to. Like, They're like, not forgotten. Like They're not forgotten and really getting to be their voice. And these cases were really big in the Columbus area. But these are cases that are pretty rough that I've never heard of. Like, I don't know how I've never heard of the Samantha Greenlee case, because there's a lot of information out there about it. We got the majority of our information from 10TV News and from our special guest, Chrissy. I hope these families know that we are thinking of them. We are sending them happy thoughts and good vibes. And we hope that this gives their loved ones a little bit of light. Thank you, Chrissy, so much for coming on to our episode with us. Yes, absolutely. We have really enjoyed hearing your perspective on this. It's It's not every day that you know three people that were murdered. Yeah. That's that's not exactly it's something. Not exactly the highlight of my life. But... <laughs> <laughs> I would say not, but I'm glad that we were able to give them another voice. I just yeah, I, that was my thing was you know giving them another a chance for their them to be known. It's because not just people about people should know them, and they should not be forgotten. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, on that note, we are going to wrap up this episode. We hope you guys enjoyed it as much as you can enjoy things like this. But we hope you guys learned something today. And if you guys have any cases you would like us to look at, make sure you head on over to our Instagram. Our handle is Coffee, Books, and True Crime. DM us, send us a message, comment. Let us know what you guys want to hear about. We're here for you guys. We want to tell you guys these stories. And I'm your host, Nicole. And I'm your host, Amanda. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. This is Coffee Books and True Crime.